this up as I go. What are your qualifications? Ah, well, I attended Juilliard. I'm a graduate of the Harvard Business School. I travel quite extensively. I have people skills. I am good at dealing with people. You just don't know when to give up, do you? I need to do this all day. The Matt Sodnicker Podcast. Hey everybody, welcome to the podcast. This is Matt Sodnikar. Thank you so much for for listening, for your comments, for your support. Uh, Cat Jeff, I really appreciate it. Uh, this one's for you, buddy. And with me here today is Doug Cower from Cower Guitars, and he manufactures perfectly cromulent guitars wherein the <laughs> noble tones and big in the smallest amp. Doug, it's so good <laughs> to talk to you, man. Yeah, you too, man. How are you, buddy? I'm good. I'm good. A um, little bit of trivia about me on my dating profile. I went to Hollywood Upstairs Medical College. Yes! Oh, oh I love it. God, I love a good Dr. Nick reference. Yeah. Uh, I definitely make the inflammable means flammable. What a country joke. Like every time I walk to the, the paint locker that's got, you know, uh, all the warning labels on it. And that only happens like seven times a day, every day. And I still make the joke at least once a day. Uh, so, yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. I have one guy at the shop who has. He's, he's not my oldest employee, but he has the highest level of job security because he is the other Simpsons and Seinfeld fanatic. So uh-huh. he's the only person who gets my references about 80% of the time. Uh, everybody else in the shop just kind of nods along and goes, oh, okay, I'm sure that's a Simpsons <laughs> quote. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> my personal favorite with me and my son is anytime uh, he says we're going somewhere, I just go, Grammar rodeo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, man. We could go down this tangent for a while. Yeah. On <laughs> Sunday, I went out for a, a, a buddy of mine went out to ride. And he, he's uh, he's actually first guy I ever played guitar with in a band. And he's the photographer that does like all our real photos on our website. Okay. Who also, uh, I, you know, I've known since high school. And we conveniently got him to buy a house two doors down from us. And, you know, anyway. So we, we go out to ride. And like, it was like. Uh, pop in from the garage, uh, heading out. If we don't come back, avenge our deaths, and then just <laughs> close the door and ran off. You know, so yeah. Uh, there's a lot. The license plate on my car uh, is is literally Mr. Globex. Uh, it's, it's been the the running gag forever. Uh, the likable supervillain. It works out pretty good. <laughs> we almost made that on the box for the guitars. Uh, I think we ended up, we, we just, like I had, uh, uh, our graphics guy did like the Jebediah Springfield statue that was, it's me with the guitar. And we almost used that one for the artwork on the boxes and, and the, you know, uh, a noble tone and big as the smallest amp. And I was like, eh, I'm either going to get sued and I'm going to have like a thousand boxes that I'm going to have to recycle, uh, um, yeah. or no one's going to get this joke, but like four people. And, uh, <laughs> I'll just get endless emails about, Oh, you know, there's a misprint on your box. And so we whisked out. Uh, Maybe next time. (laughs) Well, that's a great segue. So the the artistic line, and I'm going to sound pretty pretentious here, and I'm not meaning to be, but the artistic lines of a bike frame and a guitar, I think are two of the 
most amazing designs on the planet. And what is, what's that intersection for you? And like, talk to me about biking, talk to me about guitars. Where do you sure. want to take this? Cause I'm fascinated well, I, by people. You know, uh, I mean, I got started building guitars, uh, God, like 15 years ago now. And, uh, I grew up, uh, my dad was a cabinet maker, uh, who just retired like this last, uh, January, uh, a few months ago, finally. So I, you know, I've been in the family business since I was five and, uh, you know, I, I grew up doing cabinets and building furniture. There's, you know, I know it's not a webcam, but like, you know, furniture all oh, around the house here. That's all stuff I've done over the years. And oh, uh, yeah, sorry. Speaking of, there's the last Simpsons reference for you. Uh, <laughs> if, if you're going to have a laser, you might as well put it to use from time to time. But uh, it's, a, it's uh, a laser etched water bottle of Ralph. Yeah. Nose. Yeah, I realize that probably doesn't translate to radio very well here, but uh <laughs> But yeah, I, you know, I, I've always done this stuff and, uh, like 15 years ago, I guess more, maybe that more than that. Now, uh, this piece of maple came in the shop that was really pretty. And I just kind of offhandedly said something about, you know, I was like, maybe I should try building a guitar out of this. And, uh, cause I played guitar. My dad played guitar. I met my wife cause she started singing in my band. Uh, back in high school and I mean she's my wife now she wasn't <laughs> I didn't marry her in high school uh, <laughs> I was uh, uh, there was a slower burn on that but uh, you what know, was the and, band name do you remember uh, out of order because that's right. okay yeah uh, but you know it was just I, I said something kind of offhandedly and my father-in-law did like like moderate to light duty guitar repair in the seventies. Like when he was going to community college and uh, at, he worked at the music store across the street from the, the college. And so he knew like fret work and wiring that's guitar specific. And, you know, and I grew up building cars with my dad and did all the woodwork. So one day they just kind of meshed together and I, uh, was kind of nice to design something that wasn't a box or a square, though I'm very good at designing things with 90 degree angles after 20 years of cabinet work. Um, you know, it's kind of hard not to do that, but yeah, I just got into it and I didn't know there was a boutique guitar scene. I, you know, I didn't have a lot of expensive guitars or, or a deep, you know, knowledge of them. I just did it cause it was fun and I liked doing it. And then, you know, what ultimately what happened is I designed a model that was just something I wanted to build for fun and people liked it. And weirdly enough, the recession came around uh, back in like 07, 08, and there was just no cabinet work to do. So I started building guitars to pass the time because there was nothing else to do. And uh, I mean, like dad's business dropped like 90% overnight. Like it just, there was nothing. And wow. people started buying them and, and then... I kind of hemmed and hawed because I had hobbies that I had. Like I, when I built cars for years, you know, I would get a business license just to get wholesale for myself and, you know, sell to friends just enough to justify to people that I wasn't just buying stuff cheaper for myself. Uh, but it always ended up ruining the hobby. Like I, you know, it ruined cars for me for, for a long time. Cause it would just get to this point where like, you know, I'd be helping people out and, something that I didn't ship would drop ship direct from the company. would be missing one part and I'd be getting one screamed at. And I'm like, nah, I'm not, I'm out. I'm not doing this. <laughs> and, uh, uh, so I didn't really want to take something that I was enjoying doing and turn it into a living, but it kind of became no choice at a, a little bit. Uh, and then I started meeting other people in the, you know, finding out there was this whole boutique industry of guitar builders and, and, uh, 
made a lot of friends. And honestly, I kind of just got into it full time because I liked the other people so much. Um, and I really loved doing it, but like other builders and, you know, it, like it's, you know, there's not a lot of communities I've been in where you, you know, at least where you're talking about people who earn a living where it's such a joint, everybody shares, as long as you're not ripping off somebody else's design, everybody's in the club and wants everyone to succeed. Uh, you know, and, I, and to this day, I have friends in, you know, Taylor and Gibson and Fender, big companies that are high up dudes there who are friends of mine. And, uh, you know, we've had supply chain issues like everybody else the last couple of years. And, uh, my buddy is, uh, runs the repair department over at Taylor or he's one of the main dudes there. And, uh, his nephew or his uncle is Bob Taylor, who I've met also. And, and I own a bunch of Taylor guitars and, and, uh, we ran out of clear coat and our clear supplier was like, Oh, we're a month out. There's no polyester. Uh, I think they were blaming truckers this time, but it's always some, you know, whatever. And, uh, Taylor bailed me out. They sold me like the five gallons cause they actually had phased to a slightly different product anyway. So they had five gallons left and they bailed me out on it. Uh, it's, it's kind of amazing, um, that this industry works that way. So I, you know, kind of got into it and just fell in love with it like that. And then it turned out that I had a pretty decent sense of design. Um, you know, it's, it's like anything else. You kind of have to find your little niche and, and guitars is a very diverse, doesn't look like it if you're not into it, but there's a lot of diverse styles. And so, you know, I have a little niche that works for me and, and learn very quickly that you just kind of have to design the stuff that makes you happy, me happy and hope other people like it. Cause if you try to design for other people, you're going to end up building a Telecaster or again or something, you know, it's been done to death and, and, if you're happy with it and you like it and you believe in it, you got to kind of be willing to stick with it for the long haul. Cause sometimes it takes, I mean, this is our, like I said, like 15 years in and it's just kind of finally feeling like it's clicking in the last the three or four years of, you know, it's gone from like, Oh, it's kind of, you know, I don't like this choice he made or I don't like that to like, Oh no, these are, he's the whole thing. It's an artist thing. And then, you know, whatever. And, uh, so yeah, I, you know, I, I kind of, came to it through that and, and really enjoy it. And then the bike stuff, uh, uh, there is that intersection. And I, I think the intersection is honestly, uh, not always in the design cause there's obviously they're very different things, but, uh, among people who build guitars, uh, there seems to be a very common theme of, we all, you know, mess with cars or build something. We're all into building things or how things work or mechanical things in general. Uh, and so the bikes are always very appealing for me that I'm definitely the nerd on the, uh, I guess the kit and the tech side of it. I, I, and I was always the same way with cars too. I really enjoy, you know, that element of it, even though I don't have, like, I have friends who, uh, you know, work for SpaceX who I would get drunk with at Volvo car shows when we were like in our early twenties, you know, <laughs> cobbling these things together. And now they're like legit engineers and run, you know, metal 3d printing machines and five axis cncs and i have friends that went on to you know actually have friends that have kind of a similar background to me where they you know wasn't what they intended to fall into but they started making not pocket knives as kind of a hobby and now they've got a multi-million dollar business doing knives and uh you know same thing these are guys that you know i just we were just all nerds who enjoyed making things or building things and all happened to pick the same random car and message board and 
you know, geographically live near enough each other to occasionally run it, you know, get to hang out. It's, it's just kind of weird how that stuff happens. So the, the bike stuff definitely hits that, that front for me. Uh, what do you have in your garage? What's your, what's your bike set up? Your, uh, the main bike I'm riding right now is a, a Canyon, uh, uh, Grizzle CFL, uh, CFSL six, uh, oh, which nice I bike. just adore. Uh, it's kind of ruined me. It's, I, I finally realized what it is. It is the Volvo of my bikes. It, it, it's exactly the same thing as I, I got into. Okay. It's a weird segue. When I was a teenager and stuff, building cars with my dad, my dad was into, uh, first gen Pontiac Firebirds. Uh, so okay. we used to restore, we restored a bunch of those. My first car was a 69 Firebird. Um, that I built when I was like 13 till I was 16. And then it was my first car. Um, and then, uh, you know, and then I made this weird shift because I had a friend who had a Volvo 240. Um, and I just liked it. It was just a weird car, right? It it was kind of neat. And I got really, like I've had a lot of Volvos. Um, but I like them because they're kind of difficult. They're not like building a Camaro or, you know, small block Chevy where you just open the Jags catalog and every single, we had to engineer a lot of this stuff or figure it out or adapt it. And like my gravel bike, uh, it's faster than you think, but not as arrow as it could be, I guess is kind of the, the mix. And it's, you know, more durable than, than like the Ferrari, but it's not as heavy as you think it would be. Uh, Volvos are, you know, the, even though the, have kind of the tank reputation. They were, you know, especially those 80s, 240s, they were legit. They, they could be legit fun. Sport car might be a little bit of a stretch, but kind of like a, yeah, there goes the dog. Uh, that took longer than I expected this time, actually. Uh, you know, they're kind of like the the pony car thing. And so, yeah, yeah that that bike is kind of ruined because I, I, uh, I, I don't know, like, I, like everybody else, I got like the thousand tabs open of bikes to drool over, but I just have a hard time like committing to any other bike. Like I have, uh, you know, a handful of mountain bikes and stuff, but not a, like a real proper road bike. Um, that one kind of just sits in that middle ground. And, you know, and the same thing, like with Scott, my photographer, he's the one who kind of got me into this. Uh, cause I only really started writing, uh, in the last year. Um, you know, like, you know, in a version that I enjoy, like I do now, like I, you know, just had a handle. Yeah, I don't remember. I think it's like a, late nineties rock hopper or something like just, you know, some generic garage file and mountain bike that I've had forever and ever. And it was just a nightmare of a bike. You know, I couldn't keep tubes in it for more than one bike ride. And I've got (laughs) two young kids and, you know, so I, I wanted to be able to start riding with them more. And, you know, they're finally at the age where we can go out and ride bikes. And I, I bought a a Trek FX2 just to go, you know, ride with. And Scott, my buddy is like, we call him Scott Sumer reports cause he's a nerd at the highest level too. Like, and, and so he's, you know, as soon as that door on, like, Oh man, I used to, you know, when I was in high school and college and up until we had, cause I rode so much. And so I didn't know he was really into it. And then, so we started riding together and then bikes started kind of coming up and, you know, what he, and he bought, uh, he bought a Canyon, uh, grail. Uh, and like, it was just this line of like, no, I just want a bike. Then I can go ride with the kids. And then it was like, I don't want to be that guy. And it was always something that was like the next step of like, I'm not going to be the guy with cleats. I'm not going to be the guy with, I don't want drop bar. Like it just finally had to fully embrace. I'm just that guy. Like I, I, like, 
you know, there's no threshold now that I'm unwilling to cross other than I don't have like a triathlon bike or something. You're uh, a mammal. You're a middle-aged man in Lycra. Uh, oh man. It's yeah. <laughs> yep. That's, that's, it's exactly it. Yeah. It was like, it was, well, I'll just get bike shorts and, you know, and then I'll, uh, I'll get bibs. And then I'm not like I get a Jersey cause I'm not in, like your stereotypical cyclist build, uh, you know, and I'm, I'm a bigger guy and, you know, I wrestled and all that stuff. And so, you know, I'm not exactly the best looking in, in spandex, but, uh, uh, no, it's, it's become a thing. And so he and I, uh, you know, we ride together. I have a group of friends that we ride all kind of ride and it's the, there actually works out kind of well. Cause in this, they're kind of my same bubble from COVID and everything. They're, you know, all friends, our kids are all the same age and we're all they're Three of them are teachers with my wife. And, and so, you know, we've been in the same bubble, but they're all my, uh, to do a Seinfeld reference, they're my Tony friends. They're they're like the athletic, hiking, rock climbing. They're always out doing something, and I hate all of those. Act- like, not interested <laughs> in any of those. Hey, man, we're going camping. You want to go camping? Not a freaking chance. Did <laughs> 10 lifetimes of camping growing up. I'm good. But the biking is the one thing that, that kind of overlaps with all of us. So, uh, And then, weirdly, I got, I, you know, to not be that guy and yet somehow be that guy and, like, especially because they're in generally like much more athletic than I am. I got annoyingly competitive about it. And, you know, to be fair, it is the only form of exercise I do. They do much other, many other things, but I really enjoy being faster than them and uh, can ride a lot further than them. So I got one thing to there's, ride about on. If there's two guys that ride, <laughs> it's always a race. I don't care what, what yep. anybody <laughs> Well, I was in the bike industry for the longest time. I still kind of am. But when I was the the brand manager for, at uh, BH Bikes out of Spain, mm-hmm. that's when gravel bikes first came in. And I honestly, Doug, thought it was just the bike industry being the bike industry, like trying to yeah. squeeze more sales you know, out of that rock <clears throat> until I actually got on some gravel roads here in Colorado and just out in the sure. middle of nowhere. But... I was going faster than on a mountain bike and I was totally hooked. I saw that like, this is a thing. This is legit. Yeah, I like I, it a lot. I love mine. You know, I, and it's part of why it's kind of spoiled me is I do ride mine as a road bike essentially most of the time. Cause that's down here. There's not really any gravel to get on. Uh, and when I was kind of going back and forth about what I was going to buy, you know, the appeal of being able to, I was like, you know, if I got this bike, it's a little more relaxed position, which is what I kind of prefer, to be honest. And it's just a different tire set away from being able to do a few different things yeah. compared to, you know, something with tight forks and whatnot. And my parents have a place. Uh, uh, they built a cabin, I don't know, about 10 years ago. They finished it. And it's kind of right between Mount Lassa and Mount Shasta. So if you drew a line, it's kind of right in the middle. It's an area we've camped in my entire life. They built a house up there. Um, so like the last time we were up there, like, you know, I, 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 that's what I did doing. I put the, you know, uh, 45 C's back on it and rode the hell out of it on gravel. And then I came home and put a set of, uh, I've got a set of, you know, Panerites or gravel Kings that I ride around town on most of the time. And I put those back on and then rode bike it. And then, you know, I'll go back up in a month when we get to go back up and I'll reset it the other way. And I just adore that setup. It's, it's really like, there's definitely like the there's some money and or personal goals 
that are attached to one bike that's been sitting in that tab for a long time that I'm not quite there yet. And I'm like, but I just have this feeling I'm going to, it's going to be the bike that looks the coolest in my garage, but I probably still wouldn't ride as much. I really love that bike, that, that, that grizzle. It's, yeah. it's been great for me. Well, I love, so going back to the design of bikes and guitars, there's like these harsh um, right angles, acute angles. Sure. And then there's, absolute circles and curves and, perfection. <laughs> and there's there's something about getting a guitar tune and a mechanical shifter dropping in and being exactly on the cassette in the right space that sure uh just it sounds good it feels good it's yep. it's I don't want to say perfection, but it is as it should be. And there's something wonderful about anything that's reached, um, you know, it's perfect state. Yeah. It's funny. You know, it's like, a uh, like how your car drives a little better after you clean it. Right. Like you have those days, like, like, yeah, it like, you know, you get out on a bike and you just have that day where, you know, it just feels on the money. Everything's good. Shifts. Great you know, uh, whatever, just for some reason, it's just a little better than normal. And, and we have guitars that do that same feeling some days where you just get it and, you know, uh, for, at least from a production point of view, you know, you'll have one that just stands out a little bit better than the rest or whatever, you know, and, and then you get to deal with for us, you know, I have, uh, I mean, we're a pretty small shop size wise and production wise, but I have three CNC machines, four CNC machines, um, three and a half, I'll, I'll, the, the half of this, is a little, I'll explain, uh, you know, we do UV cured finishes. I've got a laser, um, you know, we have all these really advanced tools, especially for a six person shop. You know, these are, I have some tools that are, you know, usually saved for the big guys. I have this one very specialized CNC machine that comes in and, and, you know, scans all the fret work under tension and we can mill off the top of each fret to the thousands of a millimeter in each under each string in each position like it's just nuts this kind of technology and stuff and you know that ability to kind of perfect and fine tune and and whittle away those extremes so that you do get that you know every guitars feels within that plus or minus you know i like to be like three percent range you know and which is a purely arbitrary number on an arbitrary thing but uh, you know that just that tightness so that you do have that uh, you know and the bikes are kind of that way, you know, that's the part I heard out about. It's the, the mechanical aspect of it and stuff. And, uh, you know, definitely not annoyed at all that, you know, they get to work with non-organic materials and our entire life revolves around organic things and trying to make organic things act like inorganic material, uh, <laughs> you know, not move every time the weather changes or whatever. <laughs> but yeah. Well, something you said, um, talking about your design um, style or ethos mm -hmm. um, took me back to sort of a marketing sales quote that if everybody's your customer, then nobody's your customer. Sure. And I'm also listening to um, Michael Lewis's podcast. He's the guy that wrote Moneyball and uh, mm -hmm. all those books. And he's going back and he's revisiting his first book, uh, Liar's Poker, about the bond market. And he's talking to other authors and he talked about, and this is what made me think of when you're talking about that, 
he said it took him a while to find his voice because as he was writing that first book, he's like, oh, I was kind of Kerouac and then I was Hemingway and then I was this. And then um, do you remember the, the first time you created a real cower guitar? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so the first model I ever designed, uh, well, okay, there's two ways to look at this. And, and, and actually I have both sentiments here. The first thing that was ours, um, that was mine, the one that launched the business was a model called the Daylighter. And the Daylighter was mine, I'm going to say mine-ish. Uh, it wasn't, sometimes with my business, you kind of, the best way to segue into trying to get kind of a foothold in it is that you put your spin on something established, right? That's an old tactic. So the Daylighter was a Jazzmaster-shaped guitar, which is Fender's, one of Fender's guitars. Uh, but I always loved that guitar shape wise, but I kind of hated every single other thing they did with it, but I thought the shape was really great. Uh, and so we kind of made that, I made that version combined with kind of everything like about a Les Paul. So the carved top set neck Gibson scale humbuckers, uh, but not the Les Paul shape, which I equally despise. Uh, I, I don't find it a comfortable guitar to play or anything. And I kind of mashed those up together and that's kind of what caught for us. Uh, and then, so we did that for a few years and I did a model we still do called the Banshee. Um, and that was kind of that same boat, that original version of the Banshee was basically just a, how can I make Gibson's Firebird, which is a very eclectic thing from them an actually good guitar instead of the kind of middle of the group. I mean, some of them are good. They're just a, they're a finicky guitar. And since I wasn't tied to having to be vintage correct, I could make some changes that would make that guitar much better. So we did those early on. And then the very first thing that I could say was entirely mine when I finally found like the pure version of my voice or voice, uh, you know, my style um, was a model called the Starliner. And so that was about six, five or six years in. And it's funny because it was one of those ones I was trying to design a little bit more of a traditional, I kind of coming around to the realizing that I'm kind of a single cut guy at heart. Um, style wise. And so I was trying to make so kind define of Define that for me, define single cut. So like a, uh, on a guitar, you get the neck and then um, like an acoustic, the body kind of comes around on an arc at the neck and, you know, and then that's no cutaways. And then a single cutaway is like we're on the bottom side. It kind of scoops back the other way to give you room to get up the neck. And then like a double cutaway, is like a Stratocaster or something like that where it's on okay. both sides. Uh, so like a Telecaster or Les Paul, those are single cuts. And so, I designed this model called the Starliner. And it's funny because I just, this is the other thing I learned kind of quickly with, or I've learned over the years. I had a design that I had drawn and I just felt like I spent the, I was 10 minutes away from getting it where I was happy for six months. And I could not, like I just, no change I could make to this drawing. Like it never quite synced up the way I wanted. Like I couldn't put my finger on why I didn't like it as much. Uh, and I just finally one day I was like, I give up. And I just deleted all of it. Kept the, you know, you know the, the stuff that it doesn't change per guitar, the next scale and all that stuff. Uh, and then just started, you know, completely clean sheet. And then in 10 minutes, I had the Starliner design. Like it just came together. And I looked at it and went, that's the one. If, if I realize if I spend, if I can't get it where I'm, you know, maybe not so much like, oh, okay, if I move this knob or this control, that stuff is kind of just like the nuts and bolts part, but like the fundamental design, the feel, the vibe of it, 
if it doesn't come together in like an hour, it's never going to come together. Right? And, I, and it's never going to feel right because you just force it and force it and force it. And, and Starliner was that way. Like it came together and it was entirely my thing. Clean sheet, you know, from scratch. Uh, famously, I cannot draw a guitar by hand to save my life. I can't, I just, <laughs> like I, everything's drawn on AutoCAD, you know, like I just, I can't, I can't sketch one. I can't, it's, there are some actually like inside, like the coward group chat, like pictures of like when I had to like mark a piece of wood and people will take pictures of how badly that does not look like a guitar at all. Uh, but Starliner came that way. And then that model, uh, we still make it. Uh, it's evolved a couple times into like kind of subversions. And then uh, uh, we did a one called, we do one called the Super Chief, which is like a big semi-hollow. Uh, and it's Starliner shape. It's just scaled up uh, to be kind of a big semi-hollow body. And that's another one. Like I dropped my kid off. This is when I only had one kid at daycare in the morning and I was in the car and like, it's like 10 minutes from my shop. And I was like, I want, you know what? I think I want to sit down in, and I know I have a bunch of other things I need to do today, but I want to sit down and I have this thing in my head. I want to do it. And I had within an hour, the prototype body, I had drawn it, programmed it and, uh, uh, had the prototype mocked up off the CNC within like an hour. And that guitar same thing. Like it has not fundamentally changed since I designed it. Uh, I guess four years ago now. And again, we're on the webcam here where you can't see it. That's, that's four of them there. Like I, it's the, oh. Oh, you muted yourself. <clears throat> uh, oh, there we go. My back. Go. Yay. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's the only thing I have more than one, one of, of mine, of stuff that I've designed. Uh, like I, I, uh, I just love that model. It's it's everything I've wanted to do in 15 years of building guitars. And, and it's kind of the tough side to that is it's put me in a rut because now I'm like, I don't really know what I want to design next. <laughs> These are so good. Uh, we have one model that we're, we're kind of a finally like, it is kind of in that realm of like, I've been struggling with it. And then I finally realized what I was struggling with and, and, and it, it, I changed it and I'm really happy with it now. So now we're launching that one next month at this trade show we do every year, um, or used to do every year. Uh, this will be the first time back in a couple of years, but, uh, yeah, it, it just kind of, you know, it's kind of my niche. I don't build a modern guitar. I don't build an acoustic. I don't build something that's metal. I don't build, you know, it, it's kind of a, you know, I, I'm probably, the oldest 38 year old you'll ever talk to, you know, I've always been, you know, <laughs> when I was 16, I was playing classic rock, you know, and, and, and was driving sixties firebirds. And, and, uh, uh, you know, so I kind of have, that's always been kind of my wheelhouse and my design sense for our guitars. That's kind of the thing it appeals to. And, and so it's, it seems to be my, my wheelhouse. That's my dream car, by the way. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> the 69 Firebird. Yeah. Uh, I, God, it's funny. I was just talking about this today. So I, mine was a 69, originally a 352 barrel. Uh, we rebuilt it, restored it as a 404 barrel, uh, 400 HO spec. Uh, and then I sold it in 2001 when I started going to college. Um, and because I felt bad, I kind of got to the point where I was just taking it out to go to the track. And I was like, that's eh, time to sell it build something else and then crazily enough about i don't know three months ago you know every once in a while i'll, I'll kind of google search just to see 
if it ever pops up, it popped up. It popped up at an auto, like a like a kind of specialty car lot in Michigan. Uh, and I sold it in 01. So it was 20, like 21 years later. And it was exactly as I had sold it. Uh, I mean, wow. same tires, clearly had not been hard, just been stored and barely driven. And like, I missed it. Not that I had the money to buy it back, but like, like if I had caught it like a month earlier, I might have been able to buy it back. And I was like, yeah, <laughs> which is probably for the best because I have a 64 Chevy Stepside that does run. And I have the current Volvo project that I think is going on year nine now uh, and does not run uh, and has very little hope of running anytime soon. Uh, and it's got a lot of, yeah, it's the money pit. Uh, the bikes have kind of eaten that up a little bit. Uh, my wife is very understanding about that money spending. I think she's kind of happy the cars are maybe not as much right now. <laughs> yeah. I wanted to come back to your design <clears throat> methodology because you mm -hmm. talked about that first design where <clears throat> you felt you were 10 minutes away and it never got there. And then the part where this newer guitar, you're still pursuing that design. Yeah. At what point, and maybe it's intuitive, do you just go, all right, I know that there's an end point here, or I know that this is just, this was not wasted because I learned something. Yeah. How do you, what gives you the sense which way it's going to go? Uh, it's tough. I mean, I, I do try to have the perspective that there is no failures if you learn from it. And so, right. I mean, they're, they're frustrating, but you know, I've definitely walked away from things thinking, well, you know, and I've had other models in the past that were built to do very specific things and they just didn't catch, you know, marketing wise and, or whatever reason. And I kind of, built them just to show we could and to keep me, you know, sane at, at a certain point to, you know, uh, not go crazy building the same thing over and over again. But like this one that I'm working on right now that was stubborn, uh, what ultimately finally kind of broke it loose was to ditch the idea of what I wanted it to be in terms of kind of the niche in our lineup uh, where I thought it might fit and go kind of almost completely left field with it uh, into a different direction. And then, and then it allowed me to kind of change a couple proportions that were, that I think was what was hanging me up visually on it. Uh, that is one of the nice things about the CNC when I was early on is, you know, the fact that you're drawing everything on the computer is tough to get kind of an organic feel. Um, and so the ability to just like, do I like this shape? Is the proportion correctly? What looks good on the screen, maybe, you know, like the first couple versions of some that, you know, first model, the daylighter were way too big in real life. Like I would end up just basically dumping the outline to a, the most simple, just flat 2D cut out of whatever piece of scrap I could on the CNC just to, you know, pick it up and hold it. And that was probably what took me the longest is kind of having that intuitive feel about proportion and scale and curves and, you know, that organicness looking at something drawn 2d on the screen. Um, you know, I learned, I mean, this is kind of a tangent. I learned AutoCAD in my senior year of high school, because when I was a junior in pre-calculus, I realized that as far as I'm going to go in math, that was the end of the road for me. <laughs> uh, and for whatever reason, AutoCAD counted as a math class. And so I took that my senior year as kind of a, you know, sure. Why not? And, and, 
after I had or was in that class, my dad actually bought, he was like the first cabinet shop in Sacramento to have a CNC machine. Um, it's like 1999 or so. And so it kind of de- became my job to draw and program for that machine, uh, you know, because he didn't want to do it. And, and not that he couldn't, he learned how to do it and stuff, but it was just happened to be this, you know, uh, synchronized, just fate that those things went together. And, you know, I don't know how to draw in 3D. Uh, I never learned. I took the one year of AutoCAD and 3D wasn't really a thing in the late 90s yet. Not, not like it is now. And uh, so I, you know, I, I can still run circles around anybody to do a two-dimensional thing on the scene, like two and a half D because it's drawn 2D and then I assign all my tool depths and stuff. But yeah, I can do that super fast. But I have a new kid who is uh, really smart. He just started working for us in the last year. And like he's got, you know, a hobby CNC and a hobby 3D printer and stuff. And so I've been just turning him loose. Like even today, uh, I was like, oh man, I could see this thing in my head that, is just kind of beyond my skill set of like, can you 3D model this thing and print it? Because I need to have a jig that drills a wire hole at an angle through the body and comes out in a very specific spot um, that I've done by hand for the last 2,000 guitars or whatever, but doesn't have a 100% success ratio of not coming out (laughs) through the face of the guitar somewhere. It's not supposed to. Uh, And he's like, oh yeah. And then, you know, and so... I don't actually do the assembly that much these days. I only do it in a pinch. I have, you know, it's, I do other things in the shop. And so I had to cover today for my assembly guy, one of my assembly guys. And so I got to use the jig for the first time. And I'm, I'm like, oh, this thing is so awesome. Oh, these guys are so much smarter than me. <laughs> but yeah, it's, you know, it's, I, I've, I've made a, a pretty good uh, career out of faking my way through. The best way to describe it is I have the supernatural ability to learn just enough to be dangerous and fake it at almost anything. Uh, like I, you can show me something and I can roughly grasp the essentials of it. Like almost immediately, like, like every time I get the new machine, like a new machine or something like that, we have to get trained on it. Like immediately I've got it, but not really mastered it just enough to like, I would be that a great explode. Yeah. I, I mean, I was, Ironically, I was a third of the way through my teaching credential when I fell into building guitars. My wife was ahead of me. Uh, and so she finished and we had bought a house around the same time. So I went to work full time just to, you know, I figured, well, I'll come back and I'll do the credential, finish the credential program after you. And so I probably would be a good teacher who is just one lesson ahead of the kids at all times. Uh, I could, I could fake my way through it. Uh, but yeah, it's, you know, <laughs> it's kind of a long tangent to a, question that probably didn't matter to this now but yeah it's it's kind of that's how i got there (laughs) Uh, i I love the tangents i absolutely (laughs) one of the one of the questions i ask uh business owners that was a carryover from when this was a, a true business podcast was clearly you haven't quit but was there a moment that was the inflection point where it was I'm going to sleep on this and how close was it? And what did you do to work through that? Uh, well, about every 45 minutes, I'm ready to quit. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Well, okay. Yeah. I'll I'll give that some perspective. I, there were days doing this, uh, especially when it was me and, and then, uh, eventually there was a couple of us and stuff. Um, 
there was three of us at one point for the first couple of years or not the first couple of years, there was three of us. None of us got paid still. Like we were just scraping by, you know, or barely got paid. And I still am the lowest paid employee in the shop. I take the least my, my as long as my wife continues to have a unionized teaching job, uh, my living situation at home will always be covered. So I, I try to take the least out. Um, I do get some of the fun perks compared to everybody else, but uh, yeah, I mean, there'd be days I would just go home and hide under the covers. Like I just would be exhausted and in tears, frustrated and, you know, ready to burn it all down. You know, no, no clue how tomorrow is going to happen, how I'm going to get through the end of the week. Uh, and, and that stuff still happens right now. You know, I mean, I definitely have weeks where I'm like, you know, if the phone rings right, oh man. Okay. I have the best story for this. Cool. We had a day, we had a day like this a few years back where it was like, it was a Thursday afternoon. There was literally maybe $22 in the bank account. Nothing, just nothing left in it. I had no prospects for what was coming in. We had no guitars that were billable that were wrapping up in the next day or two. I, you know, and nothing, but we had one guitar uh, that we had just finished up that day that was actually inventory that we could put up on the web- website and maybe we'd get lucky. And we're just kind of sitting around the shop getting ready to wrap up for the day and we're all kind of in the same crappy mood, just like uh, the three of us. Like, uh, you know, and my buddy calls me from Texas and he goes, uh, he calls me and he's like, hey man, uh, and he would do these guitar building workshops and I, you know, knew that was going on in that and, and so like I was like, hey, what's going on? How's your class going? So, oh man, we got these guitars we're wrapping up, but they didn't send me these very specific screws that you can't find it like at a hardware store. They're very, very strange piece of like it's a real long screw with a tiny head. And he's like, he's like, is there any chance you have any of these? And I'm like, well, you're in Texas and it's gotta be 4:30 there. I'm like, it's too late to get them from all parts. Who's also like the parts wholesaler in Texas? He's like, yeah. I'm like, all right, so you're playing the time card time zone advantage here. I'm like, yeah, I got you, buddy. We'll we'll get you taken care of. So <laughs> we go find these screws and I'm like, well, I got to send them probably USPS express to get them there tomorrow. You know, the only one I have is like a medium sized box, but if it ships, it fits or if it fits, it ships. Right. So I was like, we should go fill this with packing peanuts and toss those four screws in there randomly. And they're like, like a toothpick with a head on it. They're tiny yeah. screws. And, and then I'm like, Nah, that's not mean enough. What we really should do is, and so we went to the dust collector and we have this huge dust collector and it's got basically four like hundred gallon bags. And uh, the <laughs> first, the bag furthest from the inlet fills up about once every seven days. But the bag closest to the inlet is fills up about once every nine months. Like it's like, because of the velocity it is just the finest, lightest stuff eventually fills that first bag. So like assholes, we pulled that bag, filled a medium-sized flat rate box to the brim, tossed the four screws randomly in there, uh, and then taped it up and shipped it. And then we went to go ship it, and it was too late to guarantee it overnight through USPS. And I was like, oh, shit, I'm screwed. Because uh, we dicked around <laughs> and wanted to make this joke. And so I was like, well, the other problem is I don't, can't really afford to ship it any other way. I was like, well, if I use FedEx, they won't bill my account till Monday. It'll be there. 
my card won't work, but the box the box will be there. <laughs> so we FedEx we ended up spending one hundred and forty dollars to overnight them four screws, and then I got home and I, and like I was telling my wife and she's like, oh, you know what had happened and like how it had just lifted the spirits in the shop. Like we were, so, we thought it was so freaking funny that we left in this. I mean, we were just like slit our wrists miserable before that. And <laughs> I came home, I'm telling her about it. I put this guitar on the website and it was one of those rare times where I had put it up, I put it on Instagram and it was gone in 20 minutes. And I was like, thank God we'll survive to fight another day. And then we spent wow. the entire next day unable to work, waiting for the phone call for, <laughs> for, yeah, it was worth it. We ended up getting a video. Oh man. Yeah, I just got this text that was just "you're an asshole" and then a video and like you know, like the old timey chimney sweep, right? That's what this box became. When you touched it, it puffed out of every tape seam. Like he started to open it and it just went woof, and like it was like drywall dust. Yeah, and so oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He we did that to him twice uh, actually. The second time, and he knew it was coming. The second time, I'm like, no, we're not gonna, we wouldn't do that to you again. And then we definitely did. Uh, <laughs> oh, that's so, awesome. Yeah, you gotta, engineer, you gotta have those engineer. moments, man. Because uh, it, 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 certainly the lows are the lowest uh, when you own yeah. a business. They, they suck. Uh, you know, but I, I, it's not a good business plan, but I have definitely had the miracle. Something always comes through. You know, like it, it's not, <laughs> it's hard to plan for that. It doesn't make it any less stressful, but, uh, you know, and I definitely have had days where the account's negative and it ain't going to come out for a day or two until this payment we've been waiting on clears or, you know, I don't want to, you know, or something that I'm waiting on is late, whatever, whatever reason. But, he, you know, I have a buddy who said it, uh, you got to be dumb enough to start and stubborn enough to stick with it. And that's kind of mm-hmm. what we do. And, you know, here we are all these years later. And, you know, I do business with Guitar Center. Amazingly, that's a whole other conversation. And, you know, dealers and I have customers worldwide and, you know, I'm was literally writing the invoice up for a guy that I hope pays quickly tonight uh, before we got started on this because it's, you know, payroll came out last night and it's tight. (laughs) (laughs) It'll be fine by tomorrow, but tonight it's tight. (laughs) Well, we're not doing this because we wanted to get rich, right? There's other ways to do that, but I think you and I have... Uh, souls that need to be fed with uh, creative endeavors. Yep. And I think that's the price you pay for, for having that. I call it a gift, right? The creator gift. And it can be art. It can be music. It could be web design, whatever it is. You're creating something out of nothing. And that has led me on. um, Yeah. I would say uh, interesting financial journey as an adult (laughs) has uh, allowed me some amazing moments that I I look, I I worked for this one guy. He was a, he was a CFO and he drove a Honda Accord. He had one jacket, smartest financial guy I ever met. And he was the model of consistency and knew that and just was steady. And I was like, so I try to take the the characteristics of those people and and, sure. and look at what those strengths are, but I could never do that. I wish it's, I could sometimes, but yeah. <laughs> it's a funny thing. Cause like 
I've had some really surreal moments in this, right? Like we, I have big artists who play my guitars, big artists. And, and Sacramento is not a, it's not really a, known as a music town. I mean, like the Deftones are from here and that's cool. Uh, or it's great. But like, usually when bands come through, it's like LA to San Francisco to whatever. Right. So then Sacramento's kind of got a music scene and it's been getting better, but we're not known for that. So we have these weird connections like, uh, Walter Becker from Steely Dan played our guitars. He now, to be fair, Walter Becker played everyone's guitars. He loves guitars, so it wasn't like it. You know, it, it's a nice thing to have. But like my dad, you know, he's a kid from the seventies, and so he's a he's a white guy from the seventies. He loves Steely Dan. Uh, <laughs> you know, I like guess his band, and uh, uh, you know, or grew up in the early seventies, and and so we the last time that we got to see steely dan before walter passed away you know they played in the city and we got to take my dad and we got to go hang out like i'm like we, you know we're f- friends with walter we get to go hang out whenever he's in town we'd go hang out and bs about guitars and like so my dad you know we get to drag my dad along and you know he's sitting in the green room with us and walter just hanging out in the corner like afraid to say anything and i'm like you know this is because i didn't want to take calculus that you get to sit here and do this sure. uh you know and and uh, you know, I have, uh, it, it's such a surreal, weird winding road that gets you here. And, and that those things do make like, I, you know, I don't know how it is in the cycling community, but for me, uh, you know, like we get random people in the shop from time to time and UPS drivers or whatever. And every time you get somebody new is like, Oh my God, you guys build guitars. Like, yeah. And they're like, you just need someone famous to play your stuff and you'll make it. And I'm like, we have famous stuff of people who play our stuff. Like, that's not that important. Like it is, it helps, but it doesn't, the, the dude with kids or the, you know, the person with kids and a day job is who pays our bills, not, not Walter or Scott or, you know, Tom DeMond or any of these guys. I, I love them dearly and they're good for us, but that's not, you know, maybe it's for sometimes it is, but for us, it's just been, you know, we don't have that like, Oh my God, it, they put us on the map moment and we're busier. It's been a slog. Uh, but what artists do for us, besides being one of the most reliable ways of, especially when we were starting out, sending guitars around the world to different climates and different, you know, and knowing all that, they're just that like mental victory for us. They're like, oh yeah, we don't suck at this. We're good at this. Right. These people will play our stuff and and we are good at this. Like, you know, I, I have a, a, a Brad Paisley's guitar player, Gary, plays our guitars and he's another guy I met through a weird friend of a friend. And like, so when Brad comes to town, the whole band is the nicest group of people. The, his road crew are all like, it's always the same team. We see him every year. We get to go spend the entire show drinking free beer on stage four feet behind Brad Paisley and, you know, directly behind Gary and its backline. And, and like, you know, so we get to bring friends along for that. And, and uh, it's a kind of a fun flex to do. And it's, you know, I'm like, that doesn't, pay our bills but it certainly makes this a lot more worth it and uh, uh enjoyable and then you know we get to do events and stuff that that makes it fun and, and meet people but yeah it's it's uh it's really surreal especially that same thing like i'm like we're just not i'm just a guy who started building guitars because a piece of wood that sparked his interest and now i have you know big artists who play our stuff and and who have had to pay for their guitars i don't give them away um we have some that I, once they reach a certain point relationship with us, they may get early test stuff or like 
Mm -hmm. Occasionally I have to break in like new painters or something in the shop or, you know, where the only way you have can do it at a certain point is just be willing to say, Hey, something's not going to come out maybe visually as good as it could. That's the kind of perfect guitar for, you know, Tom or something like that. Um, or Dennis at uh, flogging Molly, but yeah, it's cool. It's, it's enjoyable. Yeah. I remember the, <clears throat> the first moment with my clothing company that I saw somebody, I didn't know wearing it. And <laughs> And they, they walked by at this big event and purely random that I saw him as a huge, like 3000 person event. Sure. I like, wow. I mean, it was one of those, um, those moments. And I think you're right. Like that being too stubborn to quit. Um, I think it, it, this might be too big of an analogy, but you're, you're thirsting in the desert there. Yep. And it could be a financial reward. It could be encouragement. It could be a text or, you know, something like that. And it, it gets um, combined, amalgamated, if that's the right word, into just that little extra calorie you need yeah. that will just like the universe rewards not quitting. Yeah. You know, I had that exact way. moment. I, I can, I can synthesize it almost exact to your analogy, actually, uh, before I had gone full time. So I was still building, I was building guitars, but I was still working for my dad, you know, and I'd build guitars after hours. Uh, this, the very first artist who started playing my guitars is a guy named Michael Burks. Uh, and he was a blues guitar player. He passed away a few years ago, unfortunately. Uh, and I was working, I swear to God, this is ridiculous on my birthday which is in like Memorial Day-ish weekend. So it's, it's like 110 degrees already in Sacramento. It's just surface of the sun. <laughs> and it's like three o'clock. And I had reached that age when like, there's definitely an age when no one cares it's your birthday anymore. Like that all your fam, like other than the people you maybe would run into in your immediate house that day, no one cares. And, and well, okay, that sounds, but you know what I mean? Like, like it's like 25 and I got a phone call from the, not my car insurance agent, but the secretary to my, you know, who covered my Allstate plan or whatever, right? <laughs> oh, just wishing you a happy birthday. Like, oh, okay, cool, thanks. <laughs> so I'm in the trailer and we're loading a job to go out the next day and it's just a million degrees and I'm sweating and I hate every minute of it at this point. And Mike, the guy who was the first guy I ever started playing my stuff, called me and I knew he was on tour and I'm like, well, aren't you in like Italy right now? It's like, yeah, man, just want to call, wish you happy birthday, and just let you know your guitar is doing great and how much I love it. And I'm, you know, blah, blah, blah. And like, and like, that was that. That was that moment where I'm like, he almost would always have this like sixth sense when I was first starting out, where I was at that point where like, why am I doing this to myself? He would yeah. call me. Like, he would just somehow know, and I would end up, because he was a nerd. I mean, we're all nerds. So we, you know, oh, hey, man, I was, you know, I just ran across this, you know, amp or something and we just BS about guitars and, and how much he enjoyed his guitar for me. And, and, uh, you know, you'd have that moment where you just, it gets you through. It's that, that cheerleader or whatever you needed in your corner to get you that, the next, you know, the mo next mile. Uh, yeah. And, you know, well, your wife can only do that so much. You got to have yeah. somebody else actually that isn't biased. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, last question, and I'll, I'll let you go. Uh, I want to turn the, the famous person question around a bit. Mm -hmm. um, any guitarist, um, living or dead, if you could put 
a guitar in their hand and watch them play it, which guitar would it be of yours and which person would that be? Uh, that's a good one. Uh, well, I am a nervous parent, so I almost always hate watching my stuff get played. Uh, <laughs> not so much. Okay. I hate that first time in some regards, like if it's a brand new guitar and it goes out right on stage, I'm always like, Oh God, I hope we didn't miss something or met. You know, uh, <laughs> once it's broken in, I'm good. But, uh, I would probably say, uh, for me, it would be my super chief model for sure. And the guitar player would probably be Otis Rush, who is a blues guitar player from like the most notably from the sixties. He's that okay. guy that nerds know he is, but almost everybody doesn't realize they know who he is because his guitar playing is so once you kind of hear him, you realize all the Clapton and Jimmy Page and all that stuff. That's who they listen to. And he's just kind of this relatively like just never got his due. I think as famous as he should have been like, he, he's not like as known as Albert King or, you know, Stevie Ray Vaughan or any of those guys like, you know, or, or BB obviously, you know, He's not a household name, but he's my favorite guitar player, and 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 not even like all of his stuff. Like I, I like a lot of his albums, and there's they're all really good. But there's one album that is like a, it's a terrible. I mean, it's recording wise, it's literally like a recorded AM radio appearance that he did. Like it was like a club that they played at and broadcast on the radio. Right? It's, uh, it's called Live at Wise Fools Pub, and it's. The quality is not great, and it is just the most ferocious, amazing guitar playing. Like it, and it was one that I didn't. And like I, as a kid, and even growing up with the musical background that I had, I didn't find Otis Rush till much, much later in my life, like in my twenties. And I heard that, and it was like the thing just went off. And I was like, you know, you could being a being an almost history teacher, it was like this whole section of history just clunked into place. And like, oh, that's who those guys were listening to. I get it now. And so, yeah, that'd be the one. What was the name of the album again? Or the, it's, the... Uh, Live at Wise Fool's Pub, I think is the album name. Okay. It's, it's, yeah, and it's, it's and weirdly, I ended up meeting a guy through guitar building who is, you know, a hobby guitar builder who turned out to be the saxophone player on that album. Played sax for Otis. And I was like, just, yeah. And my life is this weird circle of connections that, that somehow always is interesting to me. Uh, and probably not to anybody else, but I don't care. <laughs> That's why I think your designs land is that you, you're doing something for yourself, right? Yeah. That's the trick to it. Yeah. And you'll find, you'll find the people that that resonates with and those design choices that exclude um, either intentionally or accidentally people, they, they wouldn't be happy with your product yep. either. Yep. Yeah. Yep. It's the same thing about people who complain about our prices. Like, Ironically, okay, with bike cycling and stuff like uh, when you own a business and so you, when you own a business that sells things, you definitely have a different appreciation of wholesale, resale, retail, supply chain. Like you understand that. And then when you, you know, like the average guitar for me, even with all the equipment we have, uh, is still 30 to 60 hours of hands-on work, depending on the model, sometimes higher, but usually it's 35, 40 hours. I mean- just paint is, you know, eight hours to get through finish. Uh, wow. Assemblies, just to assemble is six to eight hours, depending on the model. Um, you know, that's not including glue up times or anything like that. So it's time intensive. So like, you know, people who complain about our prices, some, and it hasn't happened nearly as much as it used to. I'm like, just come work for me, man. 
you'll, you'll have a totally different appreciation of, <laughs> you know, the fact that you can go buy a, a, you know, it's not a mass produced. It's not a, we're not talking about a Hewlett Packard laptop where they make them, you know, they have all the infrastructure to build these things a thousand an hour or whatever. Like it takes us freaking forever to do these. And I do it faster than most. And it's gives you that appreciation of how much effort goes into just making anything like, you know, uh, I had a friend, we got on a tangent about like a $200 barbecue that you could buy at, you know, Lowe's. Like how, how is that even possible? How do you even like, not like a Weber, like a charcoal grill, like a full on propane stainless grill that, you know, yeah, came from China, but I'm like, just doing the packaging for that, (laughs) right? Like, how do you get, and then you sell that thing in such quantities to the Lowe's will buy it and still make 140 bucks on it probably, or what, you know, like just something, you know, that whole thing uh, is mind boggling. So I, you know, I, I, I'm very cognizant of, we don't build something cheap. Uh, I build it as reasonable price as I can, I, you know, and stuff. And, and I have a very strong appreciative, like when I buy stuff for my bike or new bikes, I will spend the money to buy the thing that I know that I want. And I don't gripe about the price because I know how involved it is to make that thing. Uh, you know, and, and yeah, it's, it's nuts. (laughs) Well, Doug, this has been awesome. It's, uh, I I love that. I think we went 20 minutes without talking about guitars and it was Simpsons and and bikes. (laughs) Well, my pleasure. uh, yeah, so entertaining and just getting a look inside just another piece of you know, functional design and artwork. And uh, yeah, just it's been great chatting with you and getting to know you. I really appreciate yeah. it. Yeah, well, me too. I, I appreciate the conversation and, and uh, it's been very fun. I, 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 I do enjoy it. Oh, thanks. And I'll post links to Cower Guitars, K-A-U-E-R guitars.com. And yep. uh, take a look at the artist pictures. Just the, the pictures and the guitars are amazing. And the guitars on their own are just stunners. Well, so. thank you. Instagram is usually the best place to find kind of what we're up to the most. I don't do too much other social media these days, but just at Cower Guitars. Uh, you know, we're always doing dumb stuff on there and the occasional Simpsons joke, not as much as we used to, but uh, <laughs> it's almost a little too busy lately to get the, the jokes in there as much as we'd like. But uh, yeah, that's, that's where we're perfectly cromulent at. Awesome. <laughs> thanks, Dr. Nick. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks, Matt. I appreciate it, bud. Bye. Episodes of this podcast are produced and written by me, Matt Sodnikar. The intro was engineered by good friend Cole Weinman. And our original score theme song, Retro Funk, was composed by previous guest and good friend Randy Wiafe. I also have two requests. If you like this show, please share it with a friend who you think might like it. And also take the time to show them how to listen to a podcast, either on Apple transistor or spotify and i know you know somebody out there that would make a fantastic guest and if you do please shoot me an email to podcast at thewarmfront.com thanks for listening